Good Sunday morning to you. Kate's had her coffee. It's Sunday morning, and I have had my coffee. Hello, guys. And Zachary is here. Hello, everybody. And Eric. But not me. I'm not here. (laughs) Mike is here. And I'm Kate. Welcome. I think only one quarter of us has had their coffee yet, so buckle up, people. Yeah. I, I said earlier that I may be a grumble zombie, but I may be the exact opposite of a grumble zombie. I yeah, mean, you you I seem be, pretty uh, set, ready to go. Be a very cheerful zombie today. In the few moments before we uh, began today's episode, you were talking, you said something By about By few, how, do you mean 21 minutes? 18. <laughs> you were saying, Kate, how these two chapters that we're about to embark on yeah. today happened to comprise what was it you said some some of the reasons some of the main core reasons why this book is your favorite these two these two chapters are two of my favorite chapters certainly in this book but they are also some of the reasons why this is my favorite book of the entire series because i think that in these two chapters we have uh daenerys in a very unique situation that we don't really get to see any other kind of stories like this and it's it's unusual um, this this plot element of having a man who's just fucking shit talking in another language <laughs> and she's pretending not to understand it. But we see not only what he's saying, but what her secret reaction is and then her outward reaction trying to be polite and ignorant of the fact that she can understand that he calls her a whore like 17 times. Yeah. Um, and then in the next chapter, we have uh, Mira telling Bran this incredible story. And she's not using any names, but because of our knowledge of the series, we can decipher who she's talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's like both times, it just feels like you're using your own knowledge of the situation finally and bringing it to bear and kind of like helping puzzle out the situation. I don't know. It just feels like you're kind of Sherlock Holmes in these two. You're like, aha, I'm deducing. I'm I'm smarter. (laughs) I truly am the omniscient narrator or the omniscient reader. Which one of our readers corrected me? I said omnipotent last time. I am not all powerful, simply all knowing. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> no, you are all powerful. Ah, thanks, Micah. Who told you that? Uh, there was a guy. I, on I probably t- tweeted that myself. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> there was a there was a guy on Twitter who corrected me. Who he was oh. he was correcting correcting me. Speaking of attention to detail, let's bring this in. Let's do it. Let's go right mm. into Danny. Yeah. Thusly, in the center of the Plaza of Pride stood a red brick fountain whose water smelled of brimstone, and in the center of the fountain a monstrous harpy made of hammered bronze. It's just better when you hammer it. Twenty feet tall, she reared. She had a woman's face with gilded hair, ivory eyes, and pointed ivory teeth. Water gushed yellow from her heavy breasts, but in place of arms she had the wings of a bat or a dragon. Her legs were the legs of an eagle, and behind she wore a scorpion's curled. And venomous tail. Mm. Stop looking at the harpy, guys. There's more stuff to look at. Oh, uh, my on. mind's eyes are fixed on this harpy. The harpy. Of it's geese. such a wonderful description of the harpy. It's like it. It as I'm reading it, I'm absolutely visualizing it, like putting all these weird animal parts together. And it is kind of like ferocious sounding. Absolutely. Who, who builds a statue of this? Well, who indeed? Because this old city or this city that used to be this is you know this harpy is this remnant of this old old culture old geese as it's called or old geese which had fallen five thousand years ago so it's the conquerors came and threw chains on it just to show their how cool they were essentially which is the theme of this chapter is this bravado this slaver krasnys and him showing i don't know just how mighty his city is but but danny just taking a stroll through it all 
realizes like mm-hmm. how terrible it is and she can't get her mind off all the dogs that get killed all the puppies that get killed within these city walls let alone all the slaves that it holds but this city is like a really extremely interesting one it's the one that uh jora had her sail to specifically uh for the unsullied and you know where she doesn't leave at the end of the chapter even though i thought she might but um, it's just a really, like, I think in one chapter, George R. R. Martin really paints this whole city with this history extremely well. I agree. This reminds me so much of, and especially when, when George integrated the Dothraki later on in the chapter when Daenerys mm-hmm. was asking, you know, why hadn't they sacked this place? This would be kind of an easy thing for them to do. And then it made me think of the people that did sack this place and that have usurped it for such a long time and have sort of integrated the the new cultural system of the broken high valyrian mixed with the same syntax as the old tongue of giscari that daenerys is able to sort of pick up as Mm -hmm. krasnus is speaking his valyrian just reminds me so much of like western china and the mongols so long ago and their their horse people the constant sacking and resacking of places and just over the span of thousands of years or hundreds of years, the ability for these places to sort of keep the old history that they had, but be replaced by the new masters. And it stretches throughout the whole chapter. And I think it does a really good job of establishing where we are physically when they're speaking about how it's so different from Karth, yet Karth is still so far away and still so far below the red waste. You know, we still have geometric areas where threats are located and places where they're really not that big of a threat. So it's early on in the history of this place still. I love how it's described as being constantly this like super, like the, the sun is beating down. It's incredibly hot. The The dust of the bricks kicks up so much that women wear veils over their faces because the sand, it's not even the sand that gets in their eyes so much as it is the dust off of these old bricks. It's like painful to look around because this this dust is whipping around everywhere. Yeah. There's not enough wind to actually cool anything down except by the waterfront. So it's it's a very vivid place. And it's hot. It's, it's harsh. It's, it's hot. hot. Yeah. It's harsh, but it's like at the same time, it's like this perfect environment to breed this uh, perfect warrior, right? Yeah. As, as we've seen them do because it's so harsh. And we learn about the strict – uh, standards and practices that are imposed upon these, you know, child soldiers from a young age, from age, what is it, five, yep. where they start. Mm-hmm. And when Danny meets this this army, it's just there's, what, 8,000 of them that are ready now. Mm-hmm. And it's just all of the 8,000 boys who, who've, who've stood where Danny is standing right now uh, and gone through the rigorous training that she, that she talked about, you know, in this city, which is always, you know, too hot and the dust is everywhere. And they've just buried it because they've been killed if, you know, they, they haven't. And it's like, as harsh as the city is to live in, like these boys were trained there and that makes them like even stronger as warriors. And trained by someone like Krasnus, who's sort of their caretaker and leader in the situation. And we're, we're, we're given a description of the kinds of clothes that he and his people are wearing mm. that immediately sort of immerses us in a brand new environment, which I think is, is obviously a tool, but I just thought it was interesting. Someone with larger breasts than she has that Danny <laughs> yeah. noticed that has to literally hold his tokar with his left hand as he walks. Yeah. This is the guy that's in charge of these people that have been bred for violence in almost every way. It's It's yeah. just kind of a, what's the word? It's a little ironic. In addition to describing how he's dressed, 
They also describe the garb of the the Unsullied that she's inspecting. And I highlighted this because I think it sounds so fucking doofy. <laughs> here it is. This is the sentence. They wore not but white linen clouts knotted about their loins. And here's the doofy part. Conical bronze helms topped with a sharpened spike a foot tall. Oh, now, yeah. okay, let's go into conical ah. for a second. Conical, conical. ice cream mm-hmm. cone. So it's imagine mm-hmm. an upside down ice cream cone coming to a point, And then on top of that, another 12 inches of sharpened Ouch. spike. That sounds so, so it's like, damn doofy to me. It's it's basically like what a two year old would wear at their birthday party, right? They're <laughs> yeah. in their they're in their diaper <laughs> and they got a little birthday hat that's conical, right? Because they usually are, and they got right. a little point at the top. That's basically what George was thinking of when he decided to dress the unsullied. If we were also going to look at it from like a, a sexual standpoint, like it's clearly uh to make us think of you know, this phallic, this pointy thing on the top of their heads is to make up for what they don't have between their legs. It's a cruel reminder. It doesn't sound phallic to me so much as just unwieldy and like <laughs> stupid looking. I, I love I love some of the changes that got made between the book and the show, and I hate some of the changes, but this is one that I was like, good job, d and I'm really glad that you didn't go with the conical helmet. <laughs> oh, this I'm sure David out. and Dan were just like, how can we sell that this is a fearsome army if they have like birthday hats on? <laughs> Like, and diapers. And my diapers. name is Red Flea. Do you like my hat? <laughs> I think, though, that you know, now being here in Astapor, though, for Danny, right? It's it's another reminder of how other civilizations are, and that they really have no level of respect for her. And I, I don't just think it's because she's a woman, because if you look at how Krasnus not only responds to Daenerys, but how Whitebeard makes comments, uh, he responds similarly. And I think it's it's a perspective of how the western world in this series is viewed by the east you know she had um, similar people or at least similar responses from people uh, when she was in karth and they don't hold her with the same level of respect um, as i think she was anticipating are all westerosi pigs so ignorant (laughs) in the beginning of this chapter it's pointed out and it's kind of quite brilliant it was actually jorah's idea to not speak valyrian Mm -hmm. she says my bear is clever than he cleverer than he looks um (laughs) (laughs) which begins this ongoing uh (laughs) internal struggle that danny has against jorah for what he did to her but um yeah, like it's his idea and it works. He's able, Krasnitz completely underestimates Danny, which ends up being, as we know from the show, like it's his, it's Danny's way to basically win, win the army. Um, is this, this critical deception that Jorah has suggested, but that she executes very faithfully. I'm interested to see how that plays out in the books. Yeah, me too. I, I wasn't expecting it necessarily in this chapter. But now that I know, I mean, I know, obviously, from the show, a translation of what takes place. But knowing just how much more there was in this chapter, which goes without saying, but that that just compounded so much more on the situation, more than the show was able to do. I'm excited Mm -hmm. to see how uh, it also plays out in the same respect. It it shows how um, patient Danny is, though, too, because there are some things that are said that are that are pretty offensive. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) uh, she just is able to roll with the punches and to not take high offense to it and come up with a suitable response. Whereas even though we know Whitebeard to be this even tempered individual, like I, I think that's the reason why you start hear him tapping his, his little cane that he has with him. You know, he's starting to get pissed off yeah. and 
his his patience is running extremely thin with a lot of what's being said because he holds Danny in very high regard. I, I don't think he cares as much as you know when Krasnus responds to him and says things about him. It's more so how he's treating Daenerys, and you can tell that not only does uh, Danny understand what's going on, um, you know, uh, Whitebeard certainly does as well. He's I I actually highlighted the first instance of him tapping because what prompted him to tap was what would have prompted me to tap as well. It's right <laughs> after they tell her the story of the dogs, the fact that they give the unsullied uh, puppy the day that the the boys are cut when they lose their whole package and they get a puppy that day. They're like, well, you don't have your genitals anymore, but here's a puppy. And then a year <laughs> later, they have to strangle it. And if they refuse to strangle the puppy, then they're fed, they're killed and fed to the dogs that survive. So uh, it's and it's at this point, Arson Whitebeard tapped the end of his staff on the bricks as he listened to that. <laughs> and I was like, this is just like where he's like, fuck this whack noise. He is yeah. so done. <laughs> he's so done. And he's trying to like hold it together. It's just like this is this is kind of like what has pushed him over the edge. Uh, that's kind of where I like was like, yeah, fuck this guy. This is this is really messed up practice. Well, this is someone who understands how to be awesome. This is a guy that we learned in our next chapter that was entering attorney as a mysterious contestant at the age of 10. So him standing there in front of the mother of dragons and this guy who has a piece of clothing that won't stay up on his own hearing him say mm -hmm. such bad stuff. He's like, I'm over it. Yeah. I wish I could use this stick as a weapon. I'm over it. One change that I noticed from the show was that um, you know, the Unsullied have the same look, right? They're all basically uh, replicas of each other. Uh, and then, and maybe that's just CGI, but uh, you know, in, in this one paragraph in this chapter, they talk about how the Unsullied are really made up of all these different types of individuals from the East. Right. And I thought that that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, Danny notices there's even uh, one or two pale uh, men from Karth, men from all over. And it, it's, it's interesting to think, but probably just natural that any sample size of anybody from anywhere, you know, like there'd be, I don't know, it's weird to me that the boys who are victorious are just, or no, it's fitting to me that the boys who are victorious, you know, are just all different. By cool and interesting, you guys mean like fucking horrifying, right? <laughs> this is, this is, there's, there's not super a lot of things that are cool and interesting here. No, n not at all. I mean, the wording is probably not the best to say that it was cool that they're composed of uh, it's you know, a number of different geographical uh, slavery regions. city as the poor. It's equal opportunity. I see what you're saying. It's a multicultural slave army. Yeah, it's progressive, Krasnus and his people. That Krasnus would be able to put together this army of Unsullied that are not just from one place. Like the the and the reach extends beyond just Astapor, mm -hmm. right? It's it's not just the people who live there that are unsullied. They're coming from Karth. They're coming from the Summer Islands. They're coming right. um, from all these different places. And you mentioned the Dothraki as well. There are a few in there. And it makes you wonder what is the reach of somebody like Krasnus that he's able to collect, for lack of a better term, all these young men and turn them into an army of individuals that he can then sell or utilize for his own purposes. I'm guessing the strategy is more of a scattershot one where he just buys up young boys by yeah. the hundreds, by the thousands, and whoever survives the whole process of becoming unsullied, who knows what percentage that is. So the fact that he has 8,000 unsullied, he may have had 20,000 slaves that he yeah. bought as children. Yeah. 
Because we say like two out of three, like don't make it. They are chosen young for size and speed and strength, the slave told her. They begin their training at five. Every day they train from dawn to dusk until they have mastered the short sword, the shield, and the three spears. The training is most rigorous, your grace. Only one boy in three survives it. This is well known. Among the unsullied, it is said that on the day they win their spiked cap, the worst is done with, for they have won their spiked cap and now they have to wear it all the time. For no duty that will ever fall to them could be as hard as their training. Mm -hmm. So he's basically a master child slave trader. Yeah, and so they assume, assuming that he just like buys up every kid from the ages of three to five that he can go around and find. And he's had, had at this point, if these numbers are correct, 25,000 of them. Um, and only 8,000 survived the training. It's, it's like, I imagine that buying a kid that age is probably pretty cheap because they can't do much, you know, they're just, they're tiny and weak. And so to buy them en masse like that, it's probably, it's like going to (laughs) Costco. Yes, I was going to say Costco. I knew. It's like going to Costco and buying up your slaves in bulk, unfortunately. (laughs) Cool, definitely not the right word to use. Uh, Well, it's an impressive operation. It is. Let's be honest here. I mean, what he's doing is not it's scary, though. Great. Super, yeah, but there's there's no awful. like that. That clearly took a lot more people than just Krasnus to Absolutely. do. Like there are there are so many people that must have, mm-hmm. you know, even just manned the yards where these uh, kids fought, you know, for the longest time. Yeah. But there's a reason why this area is called Slaver's Bay. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. It's it's really a disgusting operation. And, and you see how extensively they've been brainwashed uh, when Krasnus walks up and does the uh, the nipple cut. Yeah. <laughs> he saws it he off. saws off a guy's nipple. Right there. And the response just, yeah. He's like, ahead, don't Zach. worry. They don't need it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, men don't need nipples. Eunuchs even less so. Yeah. He's like, thank you, your worship. This one is pleased to have served you. This will do no great harm. Men have no need of nipples. And it's referred to as a bleeding eye. And then uh, this is this is a part that I forgot when I was when I was rereading. I was like, oh yeah. They drug them yes. at every meal. Yum. So that yes. they it just like mm. dulls the pain. They can't feel anything. So they're drinking this quote wine of courage. Wine of courage. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a it's like a poison made from deadly nightshade, blood fly larva, black lotus root, and many secret things. Mm. Many they, secret they drink things. it with every meal from the day they are cut, and with each passing year they fear less and less. So like that's I mean that's that's rough. That's that's pretty awful. Not only do they torture and train these guys to be psychological killers and cut off their their junk, but then they're also slowly feeding them poison so that they're just husks, battle yeah. husks. Yeah, just inoculated yeah. them to become banes essentially. Yeah, yeah. They've there's just there's strong. nothing there's nothing human left about these guys. This is what the Krasnus is telling her the entire time too is that these are. These are not men. Don't worry. Like you, she keeps like Arston. I think it says something that even brave men feel fear in battle. He's he's protesting this idea that they don't feel anything. Krasnus is like that's probably true, but these guys aren't men, so yeah, no worries. These are just husks. Oh, and he even says like those who aren't tempted by flesh are tempted by other things. And Krasnus again is like, uh, they don't really want money either. Um, and if you offer to free them, yeah, they don't care about that. They're just. They're just husks. They've been pretty significantly brainwashed, my friend. It's something that that Krasnus does not say. It's easy for us not to read every single quote. Uh, And I've said said this pretty regularly throughout uh, the reading in this book. But the dialogue in the show is great. But there's so much more here in the book. I mean, you get to hear Krasnus dog on them for eating things like beef. 
food for <laughs> unwashed savages. Mm -hmm. There's basically a million different reasons for Daenerys to do what she does later to him now. And uh, it's all part of the process. I mean, they are standing in front of a thousand armed men. So there's that. And I also like Krasnus's comment that he specifically says to uh, Whitebeard, and I don't know if this is intentional on his part or more so intentional on George's part, when um, he says, I've heard that in the Sunset Kingdoms, men take solemn vows mm. to keep chaste and father no children, but live only for their duty. Is it not so? <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, Mr. Whitebeard. Interesting that Krasnus would say that to you. He blushes. Yeah. But so Does he you know saying, who you really are? Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think that Krasnus knows who? Arsene? No, I mean, I think I think it was more done by George to, to just write that in there as a clue for the reader right. than Krasnus actually having any idea who mm. Whitebeard really is. This Krasnus person is, there's nothing redeemable about this character. He's just the worst. In addition to calling her terrible names and refusing to show anyone respect, he is a shithead to his slaves. He's clearly raised who knows how many generations of this slave army, the, the Unsullied. And he also says a bunch of disgusting stuff to her at the end. He's like, uh, like he's telling her about the nightlife, right? <laughs> and he, he says a bunch of like sexually suggestive stuff to her. But then he also tells her like, there's a bear in a pit uh, and there's going to be three little boys. One gets rolled in honey, one in blood, one in dead fish. And then you get to bet on which one the bear will eat first. It's going to be a hoot. Like, That's this is what they do for cool. entertainment. Like, it's not like they're just, like, raising slaves because they got to make a buck. And then they go home and they watch a play with their wives or whatever. Like, they're they're also being really disgusting in their leisure time. This whole culture deserves to be set on fire. Clearly, this is the worst. And so, I th and I think this is what Danny feels too. I think this is exactly where her mind is at. She's like, "Fuck this town, fuck this yeah. whack town." <laughs> She's angry cool, at Jordan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when she does get back to the boat after that um, ride through town, she slaps Jorah, and she's she just says to him something along the lines of, "Now that you've shown me these men, I have to free them." She's like, "You suck. You should never have. Like, this is this is just <laughs> this is the worst." Yeah, but she also she they have this argument, and we're skipping over kind of a, a few important things here but they have this argument at the end where she's like these are slaves and it's gross i don't want anything to do with this i'm gonna get my army that wants to fight for me and jorah makes a fine point he's just like well where are you gonna find them you've you tr you've tried to find these men to fight for you but like you're gonna have to go with an army of some kind and it's hard because this is and this is the the best line she's like rhaegar fought with men who believed in him and Jorah says the one of the best lines in the entire series, which is, again, another point toward why I love this chapter more than just about any other chapter in these books. When he's describing Rhaegar losing at the Trident to Robert, and he says that wonderful line, Rhaegar fought valiantly, Rhaegar fought nobly, Rhaegar fought honorably, and Rhaegar died. So he's yeah. telling her it doesn't matter. It does not matter what your intentions are, which is this, this message we keep getting with Ned Stark, with Rob, with Rhaegar's defeat. Like, it doesn't matter how honorable and noble you are, how many people believe in your cause. If you don't come ready to win and, like, prepared as well as you can be, you might just bite it. Like, doesn't matter. You, you've, got, <laughs> right. you've got to be willing to do what it takes. Yeah, but 
at the same time, it's it's completely contrary to what Arston believes, right? Yes. Right. And it's Danny's internal struggle to have these two advisors that are completely against each other in terms of what they think should be done in order to take back Westeros. You have Jorah who believes that she should bring the Unsullied with her, and then you have Whitebeard who believes that you know Rhaegar was so beloved by the people of Westeros that there will be or there could be, I should say, not would be, could be, um, those that would still rise if they saw the Targaryen banners, uh, you know, come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's almost in complete contrast to what you just said, Kate. Yeah. You know, he says, there have been no slaves in the Seven Kingdoms for thousands of years. The old gods and the new alike hold slavery to be an abomination, evil. If you should land in Westeros at the head of a slave army, many good men will oppose you for no reason other than that. You will do great harm to your cause and to the honor of your house. This is exactly why. Like, this is the setup for the perfect go-between where Danny finds the way, you know, to 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 wedge herself in the middle of both of those men by, you know, getting this army, but then freeing them. But do you believe that's a good enough reason that Jorah gives at the end of the chapter? Well, Rhaegar tried it this way and he died. So you should take all these slaves under your wing and, you know, sail to Westeros and use them for your cause. I think that he's making a greater point and he and Barristan are very much at odds, excuse me, Arston are very much at odds with each other over these two points. And, and they both have reasons that are sound, Mm -hmm. but I think at the end of the day, what rang the, the strongest with me was the mention of the countless people that were brutalized women and children after the sack of King's landing. And that was for the good side. But at the end of the day, these men ran into a city and they didn't have cops around them watching what they were doing. They didn't have people taking photos of them and posting it on the internet. They had just essentially won a very key battle in the entire campaign that they'd been a part of in whatever capacity and moved on to do bad things on, on, on all sides. This happens, but with the unsullied, that's not something that Danny has to even consider because not only can they not technically rape someone, they're they are so disciplined. And I and I think that we're led to believe by the degree of the things that they went through that even if they were freed, which wasn't brought up at all in this chapter, which is interesting, which is a very smart way out of the slaver situation, I think. But even if they were freed, I doubt that that they would lose that. So I think if anything she's facing an almost perfect situation where she doesn't have to beg for the numbers of all of these uncertain men. She has essentially, you know, I understand that they represent a lot of terrible things, just just them in general. If she were to buy all 8,000, it would be 8,000 dead children that that represents. It'd be 8,000 dead puppies. And I get that. But a lot like the quote at the very end of the chapter, I think what it really says is that he fought valiantly, he fought nobly. Yes, he fought honorably. But in the moment when it mattered, he died. That's been a thematic element of this entire story. Words are great. Stories and songs and history and the pageantry that follows good deeds are wonderful. But in that moment, it's important how you respond. And if she's preparing properly, she'll be able to respond better. Yeah. I also wanted to I, – I there's a, a scene that is uh, it's this like sexy scene with Daenerys. And I think I, I want to just – 
touch on it quickly because I think there's actually kind of an important, interesting yeah, thing that do. happens. Yeah, I do. I want to touch on it. Yeri. So Danny has this this kiss that she received from Jorah has awakened something inside of her and she thought it was dormant after Keldrogo, which is silly because she's 14. Of course, it's not dormant. You're but, fine. Um, <laughs> she was she was like, oh, I've had my one true love. Um, but she has does she has a, a a desire for someone, and it doesn't seem like it's Jorah. It's just this unnamed, faceless, comely young man that she is fa- is fantasizing about. And she has this moment where she's like, she's sexually frustrated, and Eerie, her handmaid, wakes up in the night and helps satisfy her. Um, and then later on in the chapter, she offers it again. She finds Danny, and Danny is looking kind of restless, and she's like, "Would you like me to pleasure you?" And Danny's like, "No." No, you're not a bedmate. You're not a slave. That's not why I have you around. Like you're that you don't have to do that anymore. The reason I want to mention this is because I think this is sort of a little snapshot of Danny's first lesson that she's going to have to start learning about slavery, which is that if someone's been a slave their whole life and you free them, that does not necessarily mean that their life is going to get better or that they they know how to do anything else except to be a slave. And it, I think I've I've made this I've made this reference before on this show but it reminds me of Beauty and the Beast when Lumiere is singing a song about how how life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving not serving yeah <laughs> and so I think that I think that that's this is the first time Danny she doesn't realize it yet but she's going to learn this lesson on a huge scale later on she's she's going to have to realize that like slaves being free doesn't mean that they're going to go off and live a beautiful life and become farmers and like raise families their lives are fucked and she can't unfuck them simply by freeing them um so i thought this was sort of a neat little foreshadowing of all that she's going to learn after becoming you know queen of slavers bay almost as like a counterpoint to that i want to mention a thought that i had about the unsullied um there's a quote here about all the things they come with when you buy your very own unsullied soldier they come with a sword a shield a spear a pair of sandals and a quilted tunic Hmm. um and the spiked caps quote to be sure (laughs) thank god they'll wear any armor but uh you have to provide anything else they're available on amazon (laughs) (laughs) but what doesn't come with them is the supply of this nightshade right this wine of courage that's bred from the things and like i just see this uh the wine of courage as as being like um not just a poison but like a form of lobotomizing these men essentially like like very slowly you mentioned they're being poisoned but i wonder that in the absence of this because this is something that's clearly like made in Astapor, like without that, you know, will these soldiers begin to think for themselves again, or will they begin to at least feel the way that this poison has dulled their sense? I think it's irreversible um, at this point. I think they, they've they taken so much of it over such a long period of time that but they they're, have they're, to, they're brainwashed. That actually suggests that it's not permanent if they have to keep taking it. You know, if if that's not something that the slavers just give them the first year or so, Mm-hmm. You know, if they're if they're still taking it between the ages of fourteen and twenty, it's it, it really strikes me as being something that you know, needs needs to be continued to be taken. That's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah no, it, it's it's a good question. I mean, we haven't at least in the show seen anything to the contrary that would suggest that they need um, to continue taking it. They've seemed pretty obedient um, mm-hmm. throughout uh, to Danny, um, and and also Kate. Um, I liked what you were saying just before. Uh, but, and, and I think a lot of what, um, Danny 
you know, talks about towards the end of the chapter comes from her own personal experiences. And she actually gets upset with Whitebeard at one point, um, you know, when he, when he tells her it's better to be a beggar than a slave, uh, mm-hmm. or than a slaver, I should say, um, you know, in terms of coming back to Westeros and, and, and asking for help. And she, she tells him, well, you've never been in either of those situations. How would you know? Right. I was sold myself, um, by my brother. Right to Cal Drogo and I think that is why she has such uh, strong feelings about freeing slaves throughout the course of not only this chapter but um, you know this 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 book this series um, it all starts from how she was treated by Viserys early on uh, in the first book right and you know Cal Drogo died in the first book so it's been uh, over a book that Danny has you know not notice these feelings that are awakened within her in this or in this past you know the events between last chapter and this one like it's been but well by our accounts a year but it may not have been that long in the book but it's been a little while and now she's beginning to feel uh these emotions again which i think is important because i want to know kind of how that is going to develop and how that's going to affect her judgment, you know, coming, moving forward, if it does. And if it doesn't, it's just a side thing to have going on with her. Well, we know, we know from the show that it does, you know, she's, she gets all hot and bothered for Dario. Dario. So we have, we have that to look forward to. And you guys yeah, are going to just love the description of Dario Noharis. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Very it's a bit different, a little different. A little different, a little different. Let's transition, shall we? Very smoothly. And succinctly. Yes. Yeah. Transition accomplished. And we have transitioned. Boom. Here We're we in are. The brand. We're in the brand chapter. Brandon Stock and his merry band of friends. Brandon Stock. They go up. They go down. They go up. <laughs> they, they go, go down. They sometimes go they down. go down and then they go up. And then yeah. other times they go up Whoa. and then sometimes they go down. Whoa. Can I just say that this was a particularly good Hodor chapter? Oh, absolutely. This was a good Hodor chapter. It was. Had, we, had, we had a few sentences that were just Hodor said Hodor, which is like my favorite I don't know. I feel. I feel like his name is not Hodor. His name is not Hodor. We learn it's Walder. Walder. Yeah. Yeah. Hodor is just some words that he says, right? Yeah. It's just just something he says. And I wonder what imprinted on Hodor that he always says Hodor. Now I want to know. Well, yeah. We We need like we need like a side tail. But a, um, a Duncan egg and Hodor. Oh my yeah, gosh. I agree. Uh, be... So Bran is becoming irritable, right? He keeps saying we should have taken the King's Road, and Jojen just outstubborns them all. But when they're walking, or I want to say hiking, um, going up and down all these hills, and Hodor says Hodor, and Bran says Hodor back to him, Jojen just observes. He's like, I think that he likes it when you say Hodor yeah, <laughs> back does. to him. Mm-hmm. It's like some, some form of comfort. So it's like, these guys are on the road. Bran, uh, Rickon and uh, Osha and uh, Shaggy Dog are, are long gone. We don't know where they are. And I'd like to know where they are. But that's a side note. But um, wouldn't we all? <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, they're 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 gone from them, so they're split up. They're already on their own, and it's weird to think that you know, on all these sides, like Brandon, Bran has almost this encyclopedic knowledge of of all the men who should be in this area. And it, I don't know. It's just kind of cool to examine the world through Bran's eyes here because he knows where they are. Like he's not they're not lost necessarily like they're they're looking for the wall they're not taking the direct route but bran alone possesses like this ability to kind of help them through their situation just in knowing who they might encounter he studied well his friends are yeah. smart but bran has mm-hmm. studied well he has studied the lands and titles of the north 
He knows his people. He does. And his people know him. They do know him, I thought. From a word or two that was spoken in this show. Yeah, I was like, hmm, little, you guy. I don't know. know. Maybe it's me, but I think the big fucking direwolf may have given it away. Yeah, Yeah, the direwolf is is pretty obvious. Is is, is pretty big. Pretty big deal. Also, he has his own personal Hodor. It's true. He does. It's true. Between the the wolf, as I think Mira points out, it's like if if someone sees a wolf and a cripple and a giant, they're going to know who you are. Or at least the word is going to travel and then you're going to be alive and then we're going to be in real deep shit. There's moments in this chapter, though, that Bran says that he feels as if they're the only ones in in this world. Mm -hmm. There's just nobody else around at all. And yet they, not too long after that, happen upon this man who's willing to give them food and shelter and and take care of them, Mm -hmm. essentially. Well, he sounds like he's a stark man. He's very, oh, yeah. he, he misses Ned ruling in Winterfell and talks about how safe the King's Road was and everything. So it's clear that his allegiance lies with the Starks. And when he realizes that this is a Stark boy, he's not about to go sell him up the river. I loved what he said of the King's Road back in Ned's day. He says, when there was yeah. a Stark in Winterfell, a maiden girl could walk the King's Road in her name day gown and still go unmolested. And travelers yep. could find fire, bread, and salt, and many at it and in and hold fast. But mm-hmm. the nights are cold around, the doors are closed. There's squids in the wolf's wood, and flayed men ride the king's road asking after strangers and hunting wolves, apparently. Yeah, he's like, if you can get silver for uh, wolf skins and gold for some dead boys, it's clear like they're, it sounds like they're looking for Starks and, and Brandon Ricken. I like something, actually, this, this, I highlighted this because it took me out of it. He see later in this this same chapter, just a paragraph later or so, he said, It was different when there was a Stark in Winterfell, but the old wolf's dead and young ones gone south to play the Game of Thrones. And I was like, mm-hmm. Tidal! Yep. Tidal! Did we get Storm of Swords yet? No, I mm-hmm. don't think Storm of Swords ever actually gets oh, no, I don't think written that. out in this book. Really? Really. I feel like I feel like the other two that, that come after this, they definitely appear. I don't know if they appear in the same book. They might appear in other um, books, but Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons definitely get mentioned. Oh yeah, because so there's that there's that ball where the the dragons ask Danny to go to the dance with them. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Listen, there it's are all dreams, dreams, and then there are dreams. My what's Lord. a good dragon Danny dance song? Like the Marilyn Manson. Yeah, clearly. Um, doesn't Baelish or Ver- one of them says song. something about the we can't stop the fire in the second one? Yeah, there you go. We can't stop the fire. Wow. <laughs> And we're back. But yeah, back to Bran. Yeah. <laughs> Such an awesome story. And I think we should uh, spend some time picking it apart. Because yes. you guys seem to have all the important. answers. You guys know who this was. I have no idea. I will no. be honest with you. I don't know who this was. Oh, I know who it is. <sighs> I'm just kidding. No, I have an idea who it is. I think you guys should be able to Absolutely. have an idea of who it is, too. Yeah. I think, I, who would you guys... So what we're referring to here is this mystery night, the, the night of the laughing tree, who enters the tournament, and this is a story that that Jojen and Mira, Mira are telling Bran, and the, he enters the tournament and saves the honor of a Cranigman um, who has been insulted by s- several squires that are at this this joust, this big festival. And the Knight of the Laughing Tree comes and he defeats the knights whose whose squires have insulted him, and. Um, they get chided and then the night disappears. <laughs> and you know, so the previous to this, um, there are three or four young wolves who are helping out this Kranig man and, and they offer to give him armor. And it's clear that the wolves are Liana and Eddard and 
Brandon and mm-hmm. Benjamin. Mm-hmm. It's so clear. It's oh, I thought so. Whoa. Extremely clear. It's clear that those are those are the the four wolves that are helping him out. Yes. Um. And so one of them enters this tourney because the Kranig men does not know how to fight. They make it very clear. He's he rides a boat more than a horse. He's not versed in combat yet. This Knight of the Laughing Tree clearly bests these three knights that he fights, and it's not a big deal. He he can joust with the best of them. Um. So. I believe I when I first read this, based on the story about how uh, Liana is like she's just fierce and she's she is super into weapons and everything. I always figure that this is Liana, um, oh, wow. but but rereading it this time, I definitely got a different picture because Jojen keeps interrupting Mira to be like, "Are you sure your dad never told you this story?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm like 99% sure that it's Eddard who was the the knight of the laughing tree in this story. I thought it was Brandon or Eddard or something magical took hold of the small person and made him large for a night. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean he was visiting the green men on the Isle of Faces which brought True. him to Heron Hall at all to be near this tournament so I thought True ah, but he, maybe. just being large wouldn't help him. He's he'd also have to learn how to joust and how to sit a horse correctly and all right. kinds of stuff. It's it's much more likely to me that rather than some kind of magic spell taking over one of these young wolves entered the tourney and just bested all of the all of the knights. Yeah, I I was held up with the magic, the whole Isle of Faces thing too. And and Mira's like, oh, that's a story for another time. And Bran's like, okay, um, <laughs> but I, I totally want to know about what happened. And knowing that the Cranig Man, um, you know, prayed to the Isle of Faces and then was saved by this mysterious hero. There's a passage when they're first describing the tourney and all of the people who are there, and I love. I just find this so delicious because as as readers, we know exactly who these people are. And Bran probably does too, because he he's very familiar with the heraldry. But um, the quote is, the king himself was there with his son, the dragon prince, which assumably is Eris and Rhaegar. The white swords had come to welcome a new brother to their ranks, presumably Jaime. Um, the storm lord was on hand, Robert, and the rose lord as well, Mace, I suppose. Mm. Um, the great line of the rock had quarreled with the king. That's Tywin and mm-hmm. Eris having trouble and stayed away because Tywin had left to go back to Casterly Rock. But many of his bannermen and knights attended all the same. Um, I love this. I yes. love this because we know exactly who these people are. We know exactly what time in in the history that this this puts us at, which is very recent. And they call it, this is the story of the false spring um, this is like after a long winter. This is a this is a quote quote unquote false spring. So you know that this is quite some years ago as well. This this kind of puts you puts you in that that uh, right yeah. time period. And I love deducing this story. I love figuring out who all these people are. So you actually think that the knight that fought was one of the Starks? I do. I I just don't. I I think Jojen putting pressure on Bran, being like, "Are you sure your dad didn't tell you this story before?" <laughs> I'm pretty sure you've heard this one. Bran's like, "No, yeah. never." So it was one of the Starks for sure. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, my take on it was was a bit different. I mean, I think that you know, especially going back to the very beginning when he's getting um, beat up by the squires, and um, presumably Lyanna comes in and says, "That's my father's man. You're kicking." Mm-hmm. Clearly, this is somebody we know. The Cranach men are sworn bannermen to the Starks. So, to me, again, I don't know. I always thought it to be Howland Reed, just from the way the story plays out. The Cranach men, mm-hmm. the Cranach men, father, yeah. yeah, is Mira and Jojen's father, yeah, right? And that's why that's why he's so loyal to the Starks. Like That's why he's so loyal friends, to the Starks. Yeah. yeah, for everything that happens in this story, you know, the, the his whole experience throughout the tourney of of Harrenhal, which mm-hmm. is what we're 
what we're watching. That would be here. really cool. That would be like, uh, didn't your dad ever tell you the story of how our dads like became besties? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's also I I wanted to. There's a there's another anonymous person here, but it says um, the daughter of the great castle reigned as queen in love and queen of love and beauty when the tourney opened. Five champions had sworn to defend her crown: her four brothers of Harrenhal and her famous uncle, a white knight of the king's guard. And I believe that must be Sir Arthur Dane. Um, so I meant to actually go in and read the family tree and figure out like, well, if her uncle was Sir Arthur Dane, then who was her, like, who was Arthur Dane's brother and who was the queen of love and beauty at this? Cause I don't, I don't remember who sat Harrenhal at this time. Um, I don't think it matters much in the story because the, the ones who are focused on are, um, Aaliyah, right? Um, Rhaegar's yep. wife and, um, Lyanna who Rhaegar falls for. I think one of the reasons I think that the Night of the Laughing Tree was Lyanna is, is because it gives Rhaegar a very uh, defined motivation for falling in love with Lyanna. If we want to go down the conspiracy rabbit hole that Rhaegar and Lyanna are Jon Snow's parents, mm. it's definitely something that happened. Rhaegar and Lyanna definitely had some kind of affair because Robert's super pissed because he was in love with Lyanna, whatever. Mm. But for Robert and Rhaegar to both be these ferocious warriors, to have them both have passion for Lyanna, and she's so fierce in this chapter. This is kind of one of the only times we we hear about Lyanna. She's such a tough little wolf pup. Um, to have her be secretly the Knight of the Laughing Tree, I just love that. So that she's she's like this this secret tough badass, and so these other super badasses in the story, these these warriors just fall for her because they can't help it. I just like it. I like it. It's my it's my little pet theory. Nobody can take it yeah. away from me. <laughs> no, no. I think it's a great theory because I think you're led to believe that it that it's the Chronic Man that's fighting, mm-hmm. and, and wouldn't it be such a twist for you know somebody who may be just as small in stature in Liana mm-hmm. to take his place and to fight on his behalf? And we know that the Chronic Man is and and both the Knight of the Laughing Tree disappear after all of this, and because basically the Lords they want the the head of this person mm-hmm. because they've basically been embarrassed right and so you know the idea that it would be liana and that she would really just go oh, go back to her you know <laughs> daily routine and and howlin reed the chronic man will have you know been on his merry way back up um to where he's from uh i think that that's kind of cool mm-hmm. absolutely um, but this this whole story i mean this is this is such a creative you know mysterious way of of giving us backstory, um, telling us about how all these people who, some of whom we've met, some of who we spent time with, others who we're about to be introduced to and get to know better, um, you know, have such a backstory, have such history together. Um, and it, it allows us to start to put certain pieces of the puzzle together about how, you know, how certain people knew each other back then. This is Brand's take on the story. That was a good story, <laughs> but it should have been the three bad knights who hurt him, not their squires. Then the little Cranning man should have killed them all. The part about the ransoms was stupid, and the mystery knight <laughs> should win the tourney, defeating every challenger, and name the wolf maid the queen of love and beauty. This is when Mira says, she was, but that's a sadder story. Uh, that gives me chills. Mm-hmm. Uh, Poor Liana. And I like that because, and I, I feel like Bran's saying that the mystery knight should have should win the tourney, defeating every challenger, and name the wolf maid the queen of love and beauty, if those are the same person. 
then that makes that to me that just makes the story even richer. It's like, well, that the mystery knight should have won, and then declared the wolf made queen of love of uh, queen of love and beauty. And it was just like, but what if it's better if the mystery knight defeats every challenger and then it takes off her helmet and she is the wolf queen? Like that's so <laughs> cool, it's so awesome. I am <sighs> no man stabs the witch king. I am face. no man. Yeah, and I, I it seems it seems like something. There's, I don't know. I don't even know if it necessarily matters as long as we know that it's a Stark that did it, that the Cranog Man disappeared. And of course, the the knight disappeared as well because it, it was one of the Starks and they just, you know, they, they can resume their old identity and no one will be the wiser. Yeah. Um, but it also speaks to Liana's general badass nature right oh, yes. we know yeah. we know how great she was it because Arya is often compared to her mm-hmm. uh, so it would make sense that she would be able to uh tough, tough hold like, her own yeah in a, in a tourney like this when the Kranig man is getting his butt kicked when he's getting teased by these these awful little squires it's Liana that runs in with the tourney sword and, and beats him up. She's like, get out of here. So she she knows her way around weaponry, certainly. It is just yeah. a tourney sword, so it's got blunt edges, but whatever. She's still kicking their butts. So, and you, like you said, Micah, she's often compared to Arya, who's a total stone cold badass with weapons. Like she knows she's, well, she, she thinks she is anyway. I don't know if that's actually <laughs> the case yet, but it's, yet. it's true that this is something that she's super interested in and, and like that's where her destiny is going to lie. So, um, yeah, I, I just love this is just come with me on this one, guys. I look forward to doing the Dunkin' Egg books because when we went through the uh, the first one, uh, it was so much. It, it just felt so much like this story, obviously, because it was based yeah. so much at attorney. But there was mystery and just a little bit of, of uh, Concernicus. So I look forward to getting into those in the future. People listening at home. Yeah, those will be great. Yeah, it's going to be fun. There's a few other descriptors here, and I think we can probably name some of these people, maybe others um, not yet. Um, we also, we, we touched on the Stormlord already, uh, being Robert and them saying the Stormlord drank down the Knight of Skulls and Kisses <laughs> in a wine cup war. Who is the Knight of Skulls and Kisses, by the way? I, uh, it's I me, guys. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> Eric. Eric Skull. Yes. Of course. Mystery solved. So skull. Skulls and fishes. Uh, Some days I'm more kisses than skulls. Oh, but, uh, I like. You won't be today. today. <laughs> Except uh, I can't out drink Robert Baratheon. I tried. I've seen you I try love, with Hodor, this. and you have failed. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes on to say the Kranig men saw a maid with laughing purple eyes dance with a white sword. A maid dancing with um, one of the uh, the Kingsguard, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It would seem. Uh, a red snake. wonder who that is. Oh, Tell your father I know. Must be. Must be. It's either Doran or Oberyn. I would say Oberyn. Oberyn's- he would be young, <laughs> right? He would be, he would be super young. Yeah. The Lord of Griffins. Um, we'll table that for now. Yeah, people. He comes into home. play later on. All oh, this heraldry uh, is making my head hurt. And lastly, with I the quiet the heraldry, wolf. I love the heraldry. So, yeah, I uh, love it. It's just I, I don't pretend for a second to be able to follow it. But only after the wild wolf spoke to her on behalf of a brother too shy to leave his bench. So clearly, this woman did quite a bit of dancing. The last uh, dance with one Eddard Stark, the quiet wolf. So, assuming this is a Targaryen. Who is it? Is it a Targaryen, though? Hmm. George? George, get him on the phone. (laughs) Knock, knock. Strike. Strike! Strike! (laughs) 
He's like, tell us who it is, Strike. Strike is a dire. Let's wolf. do our let's do our owns. You Jonesin for some Jonesin. I'm Jonesin for some Jonesin. Let's, yeah. let's get it. Let's get it. This own comes in the form of a quote, really, but it's for the translator um, who had a great role even in the film. But I I actually managed to find four lines of dialogue that perfectly show how ad- adept Missande right. They don't Misande? say mm-hmm. her name. How adept this girl, who's only 10. Say her name. She's only she 10 years old, apparently, in the book. And it just shows just how she's able to completely mediate what this pig, uh, Krasnus, is saying. So here's here's a quote uh, from the book. Krasnus chuckled when he heard her words. Uh, Tell this ignorant whore of a Westerner that courage has nothing to do with it. Here's the translation. The good master says, that was not courage, your grace. <laughs> then he says... Tell her to open those slut's eyes of hers. And then she says, he begs you to attend this carefully, your grace. <laughs> like, yeah. she is real-time able yeah. to completely mediate. And and I, I just think that that statesmanship is exactly why Danny takes her with her, if if things ring true the same way that she does in the show. But it, she's just this girl is just very talented at politics and for being so young. So an own to Astapor's PR department. <laughs> well, just an own to just an own to this player in Astapor's PR department. Um, Got a bright future. She does. My own goes to all of the unsullied <laughs> who chose not to strangle their puppies. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's good. My own goes to Krasnus. <laughs> oh, what? Who says? Tell her they're like Valyrian steel, folded over and over and hammered for years on end until they are stronger and more resilient than any metal on earth. Oh. Yeah. He's got an image. He's got a goal that he's working towards. He's the grossest. He's the grossest. <laughs> <laughs> My own goes to Barristan Selmy, a.k.a. Arston Whitebeard, for mm-hmm. just saying this. Even those who bent their knees may yearn in their hearts. For the return of the dragons. And she, Danny makes a really good point after that. She's like, May is kind of a, the key word there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, May. Buddy. That's the worst word in any language. Yeah. <laughs> speak five of them. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. So you guys were really excited about this Knight of Laughing Tree who's mysterious, who shows up and then disappears. But I'm going to handle it, hand it to this other character who shows up and disappears. This little guy. This not not little in stature, but this guy who Bran determines to be a little. Hey man, thanks for the shelter and the fire and the blood sausage and the oats. Absolutely. I mean, he just left the next morning and left them food, and it, it just. I mean, that was pretty cool. And he played the vanishing act, like he didn't stay too long. He didn't overstay. Not that it was his welcome, but he set them on their on their foot. He he helped them out legit. So own to him. Can I just say anti own? To Bran for trying one of each cake instead of rationing them. <laughs> <laughs> Selfish little. It's not We're not made of food, man. bro. This shit runs yeah. out quickly. Walder needs to eat, man. He can't take all his food away. That's true. That's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> my man. my own for this chapter goes to Lyanna Stark. Assuming that she is the Knight of the Laughing Tree, even if she isn't, she, she fucking rules. <laughs> love love me some some uh, tough she wolf puppy. My own. I like what Mira says um, about Old Nan. Remember the way she told the stories, the sound of her voice. So long as you do that, part of her will always be alive in you. But I have to say, I have Mira gets the own just for telling the story. Okay, she does do a good job. And Bran's like, get to the part about the knights who win. (laughs) She's like, she's like at my as my prince commands. 
And she totally tailors the story to fit his um his lack of delayed gratification. He doesn't understand the concept. There was one night, said Mira, in the year of the false spring, the night of the laughing tree, they called him. He might have been a Cranningman, that one. Or not, Jojen's face was dappled with green shadows. Prince Bran has heard that tale a hundred times, I'm sure. No, said Bran, I haven't. And if I have, it doesn't matter. Sometimes old Nan would tell me the same story she'd told before, but we never minded if it was a good story. Old stories are like old friends, she used to say. You have to visit them from time to time. No. I, just, I love that. That's a great own. I love yeah. that. It's true. Yeah. Old stories are like old friends. Crack a book open and you can visit that world too. Even if you're sitting on a train or on a bus or pausing a podcast to see if it really works. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have we have um we have some old friends to visit in the form of owns. We do. Listener owns. We got a lot of owns uh for these two chapters um on Facebook and on Twitter. I think we should read some Facebook first. Okay. So the, those who have scrawled upon our wall. Our first own comes from Facebook. It is from Jared Kazal. He says my owns for these two chapters go to a pair of eloquent and extremely patient young women. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. You didn't have to. I didn't need to get the own for both chapters. For Daenerys 2, the own goes to Missande for her immense diplomatic tact as she attempts to sell the festering hellscape of Astapor like it's a charming little resort town by the sea. Oh. I'd say that Krasnus isn't paying her enough, but she's a slave, so he isn't paying her anything at all. What an asshole. <laughs> for Brand 2, Mira gets the own for delivering such a beautiful and intriguing tale and for commemorating Lady Lyanna with a simple yet tragically evocative line. She was, but that's a sadder story. One of my favorite quotes and chapters in the entire series. Yeah, you and me both, Jared. Thank yep. you. Terrific well owns. Yeah. This one's from Jennifer Christian. She says, for the Danny chapter, Danny gets my own for feigning ignorance of the Valyrian language. I'm glad they kept that plot point in the show, too, because it's pretty sweet when she finally let Krasnus have it in her perfect high Valyrian. Pretty badass, if you ask me. Also just got a Facebook message here from Kim Gabrielson, who said, I'm soon caught up with book three chapters and can then finally start giving owns again. Started anew a few months ago uh, with the audiobook version. So for now, my owns have to go to the Magnificent Summer mm. and the Magnificent Trio of Dragons. Like, just because. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair like, enough. Just because. That the, is fair. The, the creatures of this world, yeah. which are our companions, are the companions to the point of view characters. Kicking it over to the land of the hashtag... Uh, over on Twitter, not Dan H sends in an own. It says, first own ghost eerie for always <laughs> willing, for being always willing to go above and beyond the call of duty <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> co-owned to Jora for those two quotes. Yeah. It's like they, they knew, Dan knew that we were going to point those quotes out. That's funny. Well done. <laughs> uh, Nicole. Uh, on Twitter says, own to Jora for introducing Danny to the Unsullied and for making her want to bone down again with that totally unsolicited kiss. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It was very does, unsolicited. It was unwarranted as well. She's awakened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nicole also says, way to tell a damn cool story you own Mira Reed. So big Mira fans in the Mira's house today. Mira's cleaning up. Yeah. 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 Oral yep. storytelling. There's something to be said about that. That's mm -hmm. true. Yep. Our good friend Ram Dent Ram said, Dent. own to Eerie. 
That's it. Just <laughs> I got fed. By this point, we know why. Yep. We know why. Uh, and then own to the littles for being. At least you have baby inside her. And how cool is it? Like I totally believe Bran will follow through, like he says. Like if he's ever king at Winterfell again, he's going to give some mad thanks to the mm-hmm. littles. Yeah, and even if it wasn't one of the littles, they're still going to get mad thanks. Yeah, I know. By proxy. <laughs> Uh, well, Molly M uh, at Eskimo Mo on Twitter for Bran says Howland Reed gets the own for telling way better stories than Ned Stark. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. They, they must have heard it from Howland. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't I uh, tell Bran the story a hundred times? I don't think Ned was much of a storyteller. I think he got most of his stuff from old man. Um, <laughs> Oyson Doyle on Twitter says my own for the Danny chapter goes to Danny and her handmaiden for boning down hard <laughs> handmaiden handmaiden uh, <laughs> ah, my own for the brand chapter goes to Bran and he continues and Hodor Hodor said Hodor Hodor Bran agreed yeah, that was <laughs> great. sometimes there's no more perfect word for the situation Hodor what a great Hodor. thing to do back to Hodor he, he's yeah. just like it's like when my dog winks at me I try to wink back at him I and do I'm that not, too yeah, it's like I'm not equating, <laughs> but their communicative skills just aren't quite at the level that we are. So just letting yeah. them it's a know secret connection that though. we yeah, get it is good. So great. Clearly he likes it. You know, we did get another own from Molly M, who says that George R. R. Martin in the Danny chapter gets the own for always ending his chapters with the most quotable lines. Mm. That was the one about Rhaegar fighting yeah. and dying. Oh, we definitely quoted that on this show. Nicely done, Molly. We did get uh, some other ownage sent our way. Um, Did we? Not necessarily chapter related. Um, from Seth Knight at Johnny Bravo one, <laughs> who says, <laughs> "Just listen to the High Heart episode. It was pretty cool hearing my iTunes review on my favorite podcast. And now you're hearing your tweet on your favorite podcast. Yeah, Seth. Boom <laughs> That's how this works. It's pretty cool getting a tweet from one of my favorite Twitter <laughs> handles ever, Johnny Bravo one." <laughs> Johnny Thank you for listening, <laughs> like buddy. And thanks for your review. I saw that tweet and I wanted to, uh, I just wanted to be like, thank you. But I knew you couldn't hear me. So we waited till the show. <laughs> Good plan. Good plan. Yeah, it worked. Zach, you want to read the next one? Sure. This is from the Lady Ash. It's not really much to read, but she says, I'd call in any time. She was the caller on our last week's episode to help Yay. us with those. So big, uh, big thanks to Ash for coming in and doing that. I'd call in any time. You're welcome anytime. Uh, it's, except she can't she can't be replacing me. That's all I'm saying. She's welcome. <laughs> she's welcome to come in anytime as long as she's slightly less great. Wasn't there another Kate at one point who wrote it us? Was Kate Kate Appleby. Yes. Well Where's you see, Kate? listeners, you don't even have to write in to get a mention on the show. So right. Kate, we're calling we're calling you out, Kate. You better write in and justify <laughs> yeah. the fact that we're talking about you right now. Uh our next again, awesome Ed. tweet comes from Tristan Lane Tristan. on Twitter. It says, uh, no banners, no manners. I feel like this ought to be the motto of House Game of Bones. What do you all think? (laughs) 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 I'm not sure what this says about us, but I'm so down. We already have house words. We kind of have banners, though. We're just like, thank you. And oh, no, please, you go ahead. Oh, no, but you first. By all means, Kate, you read the long chapter paragraph. (laughs) Oh, no, Zach, I couldn't possibly. You go ahead and read it. (laughs) We, We don't actually know what manners are. We just read about them. No uh, manners, no manners. Well, our uh, our house words, as uh, I think Micah will, will tell you in good time anyway on this episode, is uh, nothing less is acceptable. We could have a few banners. like That's Tell your true. father I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> tell your father I'm here. This is something yeah. you listeners need to help us decide, all right? Because yeah, there's nothing are, to What are our with. house words? We have, we have ideas. So, no yep. banners, no manners, no nanners. I like that, though. No nanners. Oh, good, because <laughs> I really don't want to eat <laughs> bananas nanners? anymore. All right. 
Bananas. Uh, peel them, <laughs> mash them. Put them in goo. Chocolate goo. <laughs> Uh, Marissa Reynolds also wrote in uh, she says I just use the word unsullied in normal conversation mm. and I think I broke my friend from laughing too much ah. hashtag fandom props hashtag uh, fandom props it's okay I do it all the time love it love it I'm not one to judge uh, we got a a beautiful winter shot Micah you asked me earlier if it was snowing in Chicago and I could give you an answer but uh, wherever is it? wherever Andriana Castle <laughs> two hours later is it's snowing <laughs> We have this uh, beautiful photo. Uh, Andriana says, forget winter is coming. It is here and it is here to stay. Beautiful photo of the wilderness. Yeah, it looks like she is just nearing the opening scene of Game of Thrones season one. So look out. It does look like that. Look out. If you see, see a direwolf puppy. Be careful. Grab it. And we also heard on Twitter from Rosella Stoneheart, uh, who said, uh, concerning last week's episode, I have my own theory about the man without a face on the bridge, but... Spoilers. Yeah, I actually read this on Watchers on the wall. There's a comment saying, like, I think it's pretty obvious who the man without a face is on the bridge, but um, I still don't. I I feel it's gone completely over my head. So yeah. maybe this is something for our. I've seen a couple theories. Sullied our sullied episode discussion when yeah, whenever we get around we got to get a little further along in the story before we can yeah. probably have that conversation on here. But. Anyway, yeah, it looks like Micah. You got some international iTunes reviews. I did. Let's read them. Yeah. How did you come by Let's those, my friend? Did you yeah. look them up yourself? Well, we we have did you a do it great. <laughs> no, we have a great listener, uh, Siobhan Wilson, who uh, tweeted us that, um, hey, you know, you you get five star reviews over in the UK as well, <laughs> and uh, I am not as tech savvy as uh, Zach. Um, <laughs> You know, yes, told you me I could be <laughs> in terms of how I could uh, in you, man. find great. out about these uh, reviews in the UK. So uh, Siobhan was nice enough to uh, do as I asked and take some screenshots of these reviews in the UK iTunes store. Yeah. Uh, and as our listeners know, uh, in the month of November, nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Uh, we ask that you rate and review the show. Let us know what you think. Give us your feedback. So the first one here is from T-Taco, mm. uh, who says, Great job. Love the cast. Keep it up. You managed to walk a good fine line of comedy and deep insight into the show. Thanks, wow. T-Taco. Thank you. Uh, next one is from Pugsters, uh, who says, Five Starks. Yes. Not five stars. Yeah, that is cool. That is awesome. I think we're going to have to change it now. Five, nothing less nothing than five stars. Than five stars. <laughs> Are there even five Starks alive anymore? Uh, essential listening for the Unsullied. Uh, this podcast gives a full breakdown of the current episode without spoilers. The guys are fun to spend time with and girl and give honest <laughs> accounts of how they felt the episode went. They do draw attention to any deviations from the books whenever relevant. I need this to make sure my understanding on where each storyline is going is tip top. And he gives an example. Is the hound taking Arya to the same breastfeeding maniac that Littlefinger has been promised to, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the off-season episodes are also a treat if you intend to read the books as the chapter-by-chapter -chapter podcasts help keep everything coherent. Aww. Great fun, great insights with great folk, a perfect companion. I'm going to read from the UK more like often. The UK. Yeah. Yeah. I like, Thanks, I like okay. the US and everyone else too. <laughs> Five uh, stars to you, poster. Okay. Sex yeah. sucking up to uh, everyone except me. Another <laughs> one here from F. Albinali, who says, uh, genuinely funny, lighthearted, insightful, and entertaining. A podcast that coined. Meow <laughs> deserves nothing less than five stars. Nothing less, meow. people. 
meow. <laughs> oh, Sir Pounds gets my meow. Oh, dear. That wow. happened. Yep. Another one here from Curly Kale, who says, It is known. <laughs> Tip top, Game of Owns. May you continue to clash with kings, storm the swords, eat your fill, and dance with the dragons until seasons end. That was oh, I like nice. that one. Uh, Aiden, wow. or Aiden, BP, says the best Game of Thrones podcast. If you're looking for a Game of Thrones podcast, you only need to look here. Uh, the content is ingenious. Ooh. The casts are brilliant, and the humor is spot on. Humor with a OU, not just an O. You feel like part of the family the second you start watching, and the content during the off-season is good to read along to. All in all, a great podcast. Oh, wow, His accent is you. so sexy. Yeah. Did you like that? You like how I did the accent? <laughs> With the O-U the and everything? You pronounce the U, oh. yeah, in the O. This is, uh, wow. Um, I'm, I'm blushing. There are more, but I think we'll save them. Let's yeah, save some of them for uh, okay. next week. We okay. don't want to uh, blow our load at one, one, <laughs> one second. You don't want to blow it. I, I just want to say that. Uh, in, a, in a, a space that is filled with so many excellent examples of what uh, a program following along with so many people can be, which is the all of the wonderful Game of Thrones podcasts that are there, yeah. to constantly be considered uh, amongst you guys that listen uh, to be uh, in leagues with all of these people is very cool because at the end of the day, it's just the four of us having fun reading stuff and talking about it so thank you again yeah uh, it's awesome to uh to get this feedback um obviously we we spend most of our time reading the re- uh, the reviews from the u.s um but i i've learned that i can get access to more itunes stores so i'm going to uh to do that and, and give siobhan a break from having to send us screenshots uh, that's thank not, you siobhan that's, that's not her job uh, but we appreciate it and it's it's really great to uh to see this kind of feedback and uh you know, as we see from time to time, it encourages other people to uh, give the show a listen. So we do appreciate it. Thank you. We also appreciate your emails, whether they are owns or just little love letters. We get we get a few of those every now and then. <laughs> the first email comes from Nicholas, who says, "My own for Daenerys goes to the young slave girl who is the translator. To have mastered so many languages by the age of ten is impressive." Uh, but not nearly as much as doing so in such an oppressive, oppressive environment. Mm. I have a nine-year-old daughter myself and can't imagine how she would be able to grow up uh, surrounded with such misery. My own for brand goes to Mira. It's clear that the rest of the group has little to no life skills. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. They have made it this far because she has kept them all warm and fed. I also like the roundabout Stark history lesson she gives Bran about his aunt Lyanna as well. Uh, given the sad end to her tale, it's no wonder Ned never told his children about it. Yeah. Nick Hartley does not so. Nick Hartley does not so. Nick Hartley does not so. We're like thinking of the Krennic Man in the story being Helen Reed. And doesn't Mira at one point describe him as wearing pretty much what she's wearing? Mm. Like, like think mm-hmm. about what I'm wearing, but on a dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, does th- could that like be her father's like outfit from when he went up? And did that whole thing? Could have passed down his little frog spear. That's completely possible. Yeah. I like the possibility. Well, Mm. the the big thing about Hal and Reed, um, without getting into too much, I think we can can save it for one of those episodes that Kate was talking about earlier, is we know him to be the only living person who was present at the Trident um, with Ned and Lyanna. So Mm. he holds a lot of information that is going to be important, I think, moving mm-hmm. forward. Oh, right. I can't okay. wait to meet him. Mm. Living witness. Me too. <laughs> Our second email comes from Timothy Mulligan, and I'm going to read it. You ready? Mm-hmm. I guess. Hi, all. Hi. These next two chapters are two of my favorites. My own for the Danny chapter goes to Jorah, who has a couple great lines this chapter, but my favorite was, 
Rhaegar fought valiantly, Rhaegar fought nobly, Rhaegar fought honorably, and Rhaegar died. It's popular. Oh, yeah. My own for the brand chapter goes to Jojen's line. Bran says he likes the stories where the knights fight monsters. And Jojen says sometimes the knights are the monsters. Yep. P.S. Yeah. Shut up, Jojen. You're such a buzzkill. (laughs) (laughs) He's right, you know. (laughs) P.S. I love the story in the brand chapter. It is basically the start of Robert's Rebellion and is often referenced by fans as support for the R plus L equals J theory. It also features my favorite character in the Game of Thrones universe, who has never made an appearance on page or screen, the legendary Howland Reed. He is so interesting to me because he is the only person alive who can know the truth of John's mother, since he and Ned were the only ones to survive the Tower of Joy, assuming he never told Jojen or Mira. I am still waiting for him to come into the plot at some point. It's like he psychically knew what we were just talking yeah. about, and then he wrote an email in the future, yeah, sent Tim. it to the past. Amazing. How did you do that? Amazing. Time Marty, traveling cool. Timothy Mulligan. Thank you. Excellent email. Run for it, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, they found me. I don't know how don't they know did how it, how but they, they found fun. me. Run for it, Marty. The Libyans. The Libyans. <laughs> <laughs> He's like hitting his gun. He's like, go, go, go. Ten pines them all. Uh, Back so future. there are a multitude of ways that people you. can get in touch with us. Yes, thank you. Yes, I believe we've run the gamut. You've seen them all here today on this episode. Everything less than leaving your mark in an old sports almanac and us finding it later. If you just type Game of Owns into any text field, it will find its way to us. Maybe. <laughs> any any <laughs> at all. That's untested. Over on Twitter, <laughs> let's tell you the direct links on how to get to us. Over on case. Twitter... Uh, we are located twitter.com slash game of owns. If you want to write us on Facebook, people do scroll upon our wall there often. Facebook.com slash game of owns. Here's where it gets tricky, okay? <laughs> in email. If you want to send us an email, you got to write contact at game of owns.com. Not too tricky. Not too bad. Yeah, it's, yeah. I put up uh, another uh, picture on Facebook recently and you guys have been captioning the living hell out of it and i suggest that you keep doing that there's uh, a little there's like oh there's over 20 right now and they're all pretty hilarious so uh we'll read those next week and of course uh the itunes store uh, you can search for us game of owns on itunes and you're able to rate and review us we do appreciate the kind words that you guys have taken time to share with us on there for attractive photographs of people involved with game of thrones head on over to our instagram feed <laughs> And for attractive content with us in it, you can head over to our Patreon. Yay! Patreon.com. Yeah. Patreon.com slash goo. You guys are adorable. Micah and Kate are so jealous. They feel left out right now. Micah and Kate are not left out because our next milestone goal is a Micah and Kate only show. Yeah. So you guys guys can say all the URLs you want. (laughs) Me and Micah are over here knowing so much about the We're going to talk about Hal and Reed and... Yeah. Prophecies yeah. and people on bridges with seaweed and R plus ravens L on their shoulders. I'm so jealous. You guys are gonna have so much fun. Yeah, you, know? you guys are gonna have to let me record the intro clip to every that begins every show. Spoilers, <laughs> spoilers. If you're like me and you don't want to know what happens, don't listen <laughs> to every single thing. We're excited uh, about that. We've had some emails bouncing around, and we're edging ever closer to that goal. So thank you to everyone who has been a part of joining our cause rallying banners all of those yep. things remember even if you don't donate to the patreon the sullied episodes will still be available for you to enjoy yes don't worry you don't ha- you don't have to give us any money yeah thank your other bannermen. yeah thank those guys They're just hang out you. or 
I'll go throw in a dollar. Yeah. And uh, next week, get your owns ready for Davos and John, two strapping men. Two strapping. Mm. strapping. One smells like onions. The other like snow <laughs> and love. <laughs> You know what? Honestly, they probably both smell like onions. I don't think that the Night's Watch is taking a lot of showers. <laughs> or the Wildlings, for that matter. Or the, or the Wildlings. Kate, Kate, there's going to be some boning down going on, I oh, think. Yeah. Oh, is it that chapter? Yeah, I have a Davos lot is going to go hard. <laughs> <laughs> so don't miss it, guys. Be sure to tune in uh, all the time on all the places all the time. you ever told. We love We're you. Game of Owns. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Goodbye. Good night. <laughs>